Good morning. Man, I just want to go out and do it right now. <laughs> so I was thinking, as uh, Sophie was saying, you know, bake a cake and bring it. I say, buy a cake and bring it. How, how many would say, yeah, we'll buy it, but not bake it? Anyway, um, I also want to follow up a little bit, not even as a follow-up, because I don't know if it was mentioned, but we have about a week and a half left until we're going to be going to vote. Uh, number one, I would encourage you, don't mail them in, bring them in. Just a simple thing on that. But on our table out there, our stewardship citizen table, is a flyer uh, that if you scan it, it will give you all the people in your, wherever you live, according to your zip code, uh, where, who they are and what they stand for to help you with that. With that, we're, we're going to start a s seven days for the eighth is what we're going to call it. On Wednesday, not this Wednesday, this Wednesday is Elizabeth or Bonowitz, but the following Wednesday will be the first of seven days leading up to the 8th. Where we're going to pray together for our nation. We're going to do that by Wednesday night kicking off a prayer meeting, which would normally be our service. We've had prayer meetings during them. We will continue to do that. So that, not this Wednesday, but next. We're going to spend that time in prayer. And then following that, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, we're going to, I'll send out a little encouragement or someone will as far as praying that day and just be in prayer for our nation and fasting as the Lord would lead you. And then on election day, which is the 8th, we're going to spend on the top of the hour for about 50 minutes every hour in that room over there just praying through the day until the polls close at 8 o'clock. So we're going to be do doing that on that day. So I hope maybe some of you can come uh, for one of those segments of time or maybe a couple on that Wednesday. But we need to pray for our nation. Would you give me a hearty amen on that? And I, I heard something this week that I've heard before somewhat, but you hear it again. And what I heard was 15 million uh, professing Christians don't vote. That is tragic. We need to understand that we have been given by God a freedom to voice in the areas, particularly morally. And if we aren't going down the tubes, we're already down them right now as far as morally. So there are issues that are on the ballots that are backed by, we need to be, be voicing that. So we are to be salt and light, and I could go on and on, but I won't. So please, just keep these things in mind as you're going through your, your week this week and pray for our nation leading up to that. So would you stand? Hebrews chapter 11, we're in this hall of faith. This is the uh, second of, of uh, many uh, witnesses, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. So this morning, Enoch, we want to talk about the walk of faith. Abel, we talked about the way of faith last study. This morning, the walk of faith. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, if you'll open your Bibles, I hope you will. A couple verses. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen the parallel passage, the commentary a little bit from Genesis chapter 5 about Enoch. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch again walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Lord, we bow our hearts in prayer to you.
petition to you, supplication, honoring you in our hearts and minds by giving ourselves our attention to your word this morning. Lord, I prepared some things, but unless you take and break them fresh and feed us, it's not going to be anything. But I ask that, Lord. You take your word, the things I prepared, break them fresh, feed us this morning. We are hungry. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Lord, as we're in this chapter, the hall of faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So Lord, this morning, I pray as we talk about this walk of faith, that you would bless these things and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. That we might be, as we take communion following, just considering again our faith in you and what that should look like and how that should be being lived out. And Lord, you are the one who corrects us for our good, your glory, that we might be partakers of your holiness. So please, give us, Lord, this morning of your Holy Spirit, your presence, your power. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So you may be seated. So a simple outline again, if it helps you, three things that really are throughout these two verses as well as in Genesis. This walk of faith sees death differently. The walk of faith takes a testimony seriously. And the walk of faith seeks God diligently. So those are the three things I want to hit on this morning all together. It sees death differently, takes a testimony seriously, and seeks God diligently. We see these things in these passages. So it says, by faith, chapter 11, verse 5, Enoch. Who is Enoch? There are two Enochs in the book of Genesis. The first one was the son of Cain. That's not the Enoch we're talking about here in Hebrews chapter 11. So we're not confused. In Genesis chapter 5, we come to the Enoch of Hebrews 11, 5, and 6 that we just read. He is a descendant of Seth, as we, and we know that Seth is also the one eventually who would be giving birth to the Savior. So Jude tells us that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. So as you look in Genesis chapter 5, there was Adam, then Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, and then Enoch the seventh, and then Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. We'll get Noah next week. So Enoch, his name rightfully so means dedicated. So you have a man here whose name is indicative of his character, dedicated to the Lord. So it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and he did not see death, was not found because God had taken him. So as we look at these first three members of the hall of faith, which are Abel, last week Enoch, and then Noah, their lifetimes ended very differently. For Abel... He was cut short. His brother murdered him. So his time on this earth was cut short. Enoch was, what I would say, caught up. He was taken so he did not see death. God took him. Some would say that Enoch was the first to be raptured. And because he did not see death, there are some who believe that Enoch will be one of the two witnesses found in the book of Revelation chapter 11. That he, he will be, those two witnesses, they will be killed. So Hebrews tells us it's appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. So is that possible? I believe it's very possible. It seems clear that one of those witnesses will be Elijah. God said, and he also did not die. He was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot. 
And in Malachi, it says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So he may be also one of those witnesses, but Enoch may be joining him. Another one, and this, we're not, that's all, these are a whole study in and of themselves. Another possibility is Moses, because Jesus met Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw him in his glory, and some believe that was a, a, a foretelling of those two witnesses. One the law, one the prophets. Noah... Now, the third one, Noah was kept alive. He was preserved along with his whole family from death through the flood. He died at a very young age of 950 years, and God kept him through the flood during that. Now, God may also preserve you for a lot of years. And some of you say, would you just sort of let me go? (laughs) Let me go, let me go, let me go. I have here, for a long, long time, (laughs) maybe longer than you'd like, and that's by design. We groan, earnestly desiring to be delivered. These are called tents. These are called temporary. I am not my body. My body's been given to me to express my spirit my soul to you. But when this body is done, when God's done, I'll be very happy. I'm not going to be looking back and, oh, man. In fact, Pastor Chuck, my Pastor Chuck Smith, who died in 2003, I believe it was, or 13. um, He used to say when he was teaching, you know, if I die and one of you revives me, the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up is I'm going to punch you in the nose. (laughs) So God is the one who gives life and takes life. It's up to him. But in the giving of life and in the taking of life, God has a purpose. He has a reason. That purpose in time is for eternity. So it says in Ecclesiastes, to everything, this is a scriptural couple more, often read at a funeral. It says, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. For all appointed these two things, birth, death. Psalm 31, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. That's the place of rest. Jesus said, no one will snatch us out of his hand. So your lifetime is in God's hands. He may cut it short. He may catch you up. He may keep you alive longer than you'd like. But all those things for us as believers in our walk of faith must be put under that same banner. I say to you, O my God, my times are in your hands. Lord, help me to live my life in such a way that that is evident. I live for God. He has me in his hands. Psalm 90, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Fly away. You know that song. (laughs) So teach us to number our days that we may gain 
a heart of wisdom. And I look at that and say, number our days. So every day I'm saying, God, give me more wisdom. Let me gain a greater heart of wisdom in how I'm living my life, how I'm walking out my faith. To walk with God, we must needs change the way we prioritize our time. And I believe regularly, if not every day, where I come before the Lord to begin my day, I say, Lord, my time is in your hands. What would you have me to do? What's going to happen today? And when we begin to live with that sort of preamble to our days, days get pretty exciting. God's doing these things. He's involved. He's there. Oftentimes, I'm walking around not even thinking about God. And so it must change how I prioritize my private life and my public life. How I prioritize personally, family, educationally, vocationally, socially, and add the alis on and all those things. How and into what are we investing our God-gifted time? What are we doing with it? Are we doing it in such a way that our God-given talents and treasures become more worthwhile, more worthy, more worth it? Because I'll tell you what happens if we're not intentional about that. These God-given, our God-gifted time will take our God-given talents, our God-given treasures, and they will be wasted in worldly living. That's what happens. Sometimes I wonder, here are these, I, I think of it in terms of these athletes that make zillions of dollars, and yet it's still not enough. Matthew, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. So take a, just take a little, little inventory of the things that are important to you. Moth and rust will corrupt them. Thieves break through and steal. They're stealable. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It does not say where your treasure is, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if my treasures are in my garage, in my tools, <laughs> that's where my heart is. But if my treasure is Jesus and heaven, all those things become secondary so that they can become worth something in the things of the kingdom of God. How would you have me to put these to use, to invest them? Sophia, what a great preamble to this study. Just, hey, we have an, uh, sort of we, telling people about you, investing our time to do that. Paul said to Timothy, central verse to this for me, and I think for many of us. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain <laughs> that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, doesn't even say a house, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. He goes on. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's one of those ugly verses. The love of money. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Loving money, loving material, loving the world is contrary to loving God, walking with God, trusting God, surrendering these things to God. The love of money is a root of for which, for what? Money. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many. It will hurt in the end. It will be painful in the end. When we realize we had our ladder up against the wrong, the wrong wall our whole life. We're climbing the mountain that doesn't lead anywhere. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue what? Righteousness, treasures in heaven. Godliness, treasures in heaven. Faith, treasures in heaven. Love, treasures in heaven. Patience, treasures in heaven. Gentleness, treasures in heaven. These are all things that are doable here. Doable in this time. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life to which you are also called and have and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many. I'm saying, I mean, this is a, one of those, well, First, Second Timothy and Titus are life books as far as God's instruction for men of God, leaders of God's church. And he says, flee those things. Pursue these. In order to pursue those, you have to flee the others. So the walk of faith sees death differently, takes a testimony seriously, and seeks God Diligently. May the Lord help us. If we go through these things that I've written here, as we're thinking through these scriptures, may He help us as we go to communion this morning to take to heart our walk with God, where we're at with God. You see, before you die is the only time you have to take these things to the Lord in prayer by the Holy Spirit seriously. Paul and Peter had a sense that their time on earth was almost over. And so in writing to Timothy again, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. I am already, he said, I'm already being poured as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew this is it. This is it. In fact, I love in Acts chapter 20 and how the Lord has been just encouraging and speaking to me personally and us as Paul gathers the Ephesian elders and he thinks, you're not going to, he said that to him, you're not going to see me again. This is it. So let me, lay, let me tell you what I've learned. Let me tell you how I've lived. Let me tell you what's important when you're in the context of eternity. Much of the same kinds of things of character and commitment and devotion to God. Also, those warnings about what can come in and begin to rob, steal, and destroy. His name is the devil and Satan in the world. And Paul to Timothy is saying, my time is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept what? The faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Are you looking for Jesus appearing? But more than that, do you love it? Because in loving him, you will love when he comes again. You'll love when that door opens for you to pass through. Whether cut short, caught up, 
or kept for 950 years, that's not going to change the entrance. Peter, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stop. He said, add to your faith virtue, to virtue this, knowledge. And he, Peter's telling, add, add, add. In other words, there's never a time, never a day when we shouldn't be adding to our faith these things of character and pursuits and conviction and devotion. It's ongoing. This is the walk of faith. And Peter's telling his readers this. Be more diligent, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He said, it's coming. It's coming. For this reason, 2 Peter chapter 1, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present. So Paul, Peter said, I've told you this a million times, I'm going to tell you again. And I'll tell you what, I love to hear these same things again and again and again and again. To be encouraged and exhorted and challenged. So he says, I'm not going to be negligent. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Jesus showed him there in John 21. As Peter is sort of getting, getting restored to Jesus. And he had this thing in his mind. Well, what about John? What about him, Lord? And Jesus said, if I will that he lives till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. And Jesus continued to draw Peter back because Peter is that fight. He's a fighter. He was feisty. So he's always looking at things like how he compares. And let me say to you, as the more that we walk this walk of faith, the less we're inclined to compare ourselves among ourselves. It just happens. As God works in our lives, this walk of faith, we see death differently. We take our, ser our testimony seriously. We seek God diligently. We realize this thing comes down to me and God and me in his hands. So he says, moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. We want to le leave a testimony. We want to say these things I told you and told you. In fact, one of the things that struck me as I was reading this letter that jo Pastor John MacArthur wrote to the Governor Newsom a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you saw that. But when Newsom put up billboards that began to take God's word and Jesus' words and twist them and so to support abortion, Pastor John MacArthur said, that's it. And he wrote a letter to Governor Newsom. And I read the letter. You know what crossed my mind? If Governor Newsom does not repent, I think at the great white throne, God's going to hold up that letter. You knew. This is what's going on. You knew that. You knew these things, and yet you barged ahead in ungodliness and wickedness. And thus again, we're praying for our leaders. We're praying for our nation. Because God can hold that same letter up to many of the leaders that have been voted in by our nation. And I better be careful or I'm going to get off on a whole other tangent. You see, before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. That's the pursuit of the walk of faith. It's to please God. Having lived a life that pleases God. 
The simple and searching question is, what is the testimony of your walk with God? What is the testimony of my walk with God? Is it that I, please, I was pleasing to him? I have found that God is a lot easier to please than people. It's that simple. So long as I can keep myself in the love of God, keep myself in that place where God would minister to me again these truths, and as long as I have stayed in that relationship connected to God by faith in who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, and how, how he's given to me of his spirit, as long as I can keep myself in that place, he will keep me in his heart close. So knowing that sin is not pleasing to God. By faith, am I walking with God in his mercy and forgiveness for me and for others? That's the walk of faith. That's what it means to walk with God. Knowing sin is not pleasing to God, by faith, I'm walking with him who has been merciful, who has forgiven me, and I'm extending that same through me to others. That's sin. Unbelief, another sin, but since, and we've learned this in Hebrews, knowing that unbelief is not pleasing to God. It's not. Many warnings about unbelief, many examples about unbelief given to us from God's people in in. in Old Testament. So knowing that, that unbelief is not pleasing to God, by faith, am I walking with God in his grace and truth? And am I extending the same to others? Unbelief, sin, but knowing also that disobedience is not pleasing to God. So by faith, <laughs> I say, God, help me. I think you'd say the same. Am I walking with God in his humility and love and extending the same to others? Wow. Why would I want to walk with anyone else except God? He is merciful. He is forgiving. He is gracious. He is truth. He is humble. He is love. How can two walk together unless they're agreed? Amos. The answer, you can't. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds in the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is not subject to God, is an enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How does this mindset change? I'll tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the scriptures of God and then walking them out with him in his forgiveness, in his mercy, in his grace, in his truth, in his humility, in his love. That's how it happens. But the flesh cannot please God. We cannot know what this is at all unless we're born again by the Spirit of God. So we talk about a walk of faith. 
Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Have you asked Jesus Christ to come and be your Lord and Savior? The way, the truth, and the life? Have you done that? Because all these things I'm talking about are as real as anything is real, but they will never be a reality until Jesus Christ becomes your Savior. And so he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. We're born again by the spirit of God. So Paul's saying to Romans, hey, the spirit of God dwells in you. You can walk with him. You can see the battle, yes, but you can win the battle of the spirit and the flesh that lusts against each other and they're all, and always trying to get us to do the things that are not pleasing to God. So knowing indeed the spirit of God dwells in you by faith, are you walking with Jesus? the author and finisher of our faith, the giver of the Holy Spirit. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say it's hard. It doesn't say it's difficult. It doesn't say it's very difficult. It says it is impossible. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk as God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures, through the Savior, and by the Spirit. Faith believes that he is. That God exists as has revealed and has revealed himself. Can you, I mean, that didn't have to be true. God could have put the lights out right from the beginning and said, I'm done. He didn't do that. He sent the light into the world so we would know he's not done. And we are not undone. But we are a part of a thing that he's done for us. So it says, we don't, we, don't, we don't have much trouble with this in some ways. To believe that God is, of course, I know God is. I see him in, in creation. I know of him in my conscience, and I've seen him in Christ. So we don't have that that problem of we believe that God is. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. However, James, and if you ever read James, which I hope you do as you go through your Bibles, James cuts to the quick. He says this in James chapter 2. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So it's not some mental ascent or intellectual ascent to what we know intellectually about God. It's a surrender to who he is in reality for us. One commentator wrote this that I found extremely insightful. R.K. Hughes wrote, Our modern culture does not even do as well as the demons, for there is not a demon in the universe who is an atheist. There are, there are no doubt evil spirits of atheism, demons who have influenced and danced on the graves of atheists, but all demons are thoroughgoing monotheists and Trinitarians to boot. So believing God is, is only the beginning, unquote. I thought, wow, that's a, what a way to put that. Must believe that he is, that God is everything he has revealed himself to be, and certainly he is much, much more than that, but he has revealed himself. Romans, Paul said, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So there is much, much more, but what we have been given is sufficient. To walk with God. 
So he's no less than what he's revealed himself to be. He's no less than what the scriptures have declared him to be. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? To walk with God, we must take God at his word exactly as he's revealed himself to us. Now that's also being attacked maliciously as far as God's word being God's word. We are deceived to think we can walk with God as we imagine him, as we want him. I don't know who you're walking with, but it's not God. Must believe that he is. So before he was taken, he had this time. He pleased God. He under knew who God is, and he was walking with God as to who he is. We read of Noah. He was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. We read of Abraham, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. You see, walking with God necessitates this change in how I live. In 2 Corinthians, Paul admonishing the Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? The answer, none. What communion has light with darkness? The answer, none. What accord has Christ with Belial? The answer, none. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? There's no fellowship. There's no, there's no relationship in the realm of the Holy Spirit of God being born into the family of God. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It necessitates taking this thing seriously, our relationship with God. Listen to the ministry of Enoch that we get in Jude chapter, Jude verse 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch lived in a very dark, corrupt world, but did not stop him from doing what God called him to do, and that is to speak truth. Warning, prophesying. They were hostile days. Dark with deep corruption, violence covered the face of the earth. And while Enoch was living, he was engaged in that, and he was speaking for God into the culture. How fitting is it not for what we are called to do in this country at this time. We live in such a culture for such a time as this, to walk with God, to be a voice for God, to call people to God. Everything that is true and truth is everything that is false and lies. Our culture and the opposite. Everything is holy 
is everything that is unholy in our culture and the opposite. Everything that is righteous is everything that is unrighteous and the opposite in our country. Everything that is good is everything that is evil in our culture. I know myself, and I know for many of you that I've talked to, it kind of shocks us, kind of blows our mind that it can become what it is, but it shouldn't do that because this is what we would expect from people who don't walk with God, who want nothing to do with God, who've jettisoned him right out of their minds and get mad and angry when we're, we're the reminder there is a God. Everything is light is everything is darkness and is opposite. In his book, No Reason to Hide, maybe some of you have read that. I would encourage you. By Erwin Lutzer, his latest book, come out in 2022. He writes this, quote, In the introduction to his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes that we are small Christians because we have created a small God. As John Stott considered this statement, he wrote, we need above all a fresh and true vision of Jesus Christ, not least in his absolute supremacy. Then he added, we should be on our faces before him. After the ascension, the disciples would no longer see Jesus with their eyes, but they didn't need to. They knew he was with them because of his promises and the presence of his spirit. Physical sight is not necessary when we have his spirit in our hearts. So he says, let's stop our whining and cowering. And I have to repent. As the early church did, let us remember that Jesus, I love this statement, Jesus is not dead. Let us remember, Jesus is not dead. And we don't need to see him with our eyes to believe he is with us even until the end of the age. We can be canceled by men, But through faith in Christ, we have the assurance that we will never be canceled by God. Jesus is the true hero who can inspire his own to follow in his footsteps. And so the book goes. There's no need to hide. It's an exhortation to me personally as far as my witness, my willingness to stand for Jesus Christ as wisely and as possible. I can't. You see, the walk of faith sees death differently, turns it, takes a testimony seriously, and seeks God diligently. I'm going to be taking communion, but I want to close with some thoughts that will lead us, I think, to this. It says in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch lived five years, 65 years, Begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. We read in Hebrews, he was taken away by God. So could it be that before Methuselah, Enoch was not walking with God? 65 years old, and he has this son. As he held little Methuselah, I can tell you from personal experience how incredible that experience is. And could it be as he held this little son, little child, it caused him 
to rethink death. It caused him to begin to rethink his testimony. To rethink how he's living his life. Listen, I don't need to tell you this. You know this very well as I do. Our children and our grandchildren, if God has blessed you to that extent, great-grandchildren, can so easily be sacrificed for our own selfish things. In our hearts, we never want to do that. But may these things be a continual reminder of the importance that we walk with God. We leave this testimony because one day, death will come. What's my testimony? What will it be? Anyone who knows me knows it's not perfect. Anyone who knows you knows the same. But oh, for God to take that rightful place in my mind, in my heart, in what I'm doing, how I live my life, how I prioritize myself. Has the Spirit of God behind all of those things to change and put the trajectory where it needs to be for our kids, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, for even our nation. So we must consider our lifestyles. I would note that before and after of Enoch's life and testimony has a simple nuance to it that I didn't catch until this time. You see, the before, when we say our testimony, the before is usually the mess my life was in. Before I met Christ, it was a mess. And then the after of what it was like then to begin to walk with God. For Enoch, it doesn't say before he had Methuselah. It says before he was taken. You look at Enoch's life, the whole testimony is of him walking with God. Walking with God. So before he was taken, he had this testimony. After he had Methuselah, he walked with God. You see, what happened before isn't even told to us. We don't know. I don't know what happened before for you. But listen, that happened. But what happened because of it? Are you walking with the Lord like you've never walked with him before? Are you seeing that death is a reality? And one day your life will be over? Your testimony matters? It matters. There are many things that happen in our lives, some happy, some sad, some good, some bad. The question is, are those things that happened have the, the effect of lasting your walk with God. I love the thought because I can take it to God. So we're going to take communion. And as these are passed out, if you would just hold those. We'll take them together if I can have the worship team come up.
Maybe you can listen in while I read this, because I think it's wonderful. J. Vernon McGee tells the story about a little girl who's telling her mom the story of Enoch that she learned in Sunday school. You with me? So here's what, I'm not going to up there, I'm just going to read it to you as a story. Here's what she told her mom about the story of Enoch. Enoch lived a long time ago, and God would come by every afternoon and say to him, Enoch, would you like to take a walk with me? Enoch would say, yes, I'd like to take a walk with you, God. And so every day, God would come by Enoch's house, and Enoch would go walking with God. One day, God came by and said, Enoch, let's take a long walk today. I want to talk to you. So they started out. Enoch got his coat, even took his lunch, and they started walking. This little girl begins, continues telling her mom. They walked and walked and walked, and they walked, and finally it got late. So Enoch said, my, it's getting late, and I am a long way from home. Maybe we'd better start back. But God said, Enoch, you are closer to my home than you are to your home. So you come on and go home with me. And so Enoch went home with God. Isn't that wonderful? Close yourself in right now as we sing this song and as you're getting emblems. And let's allow the Lord to just draw us to himself. He is the initiator. He's the one that desires that fellowship and intimacy with you. If we'll just humble ourselves and say, I'm all yours. Let's do that as we take communion.